a child of hippies who becomes an anti-woke man when he grows up. Coming up on the Anti-Woke Podcast. So Charles Love, he's the main guy from the Cut the Bull Podcast. He DM'd me on Twitter and asked me if I'd like to be uh, on their show. So basically, all Charles is to me and all I am to him, probably, is we're just we're a couple of podcasters. So I figured I'd uh, make a little podcast here answering some of his questions. And so, he, you know, sometimes I mention that I'm from Oregon. So he knows I'm from the Pacific Northwest. And he's asking, like, how stuff has changed. You know, what's going on there? What's going on here now? And uh, how stuff has changed since I was younger. So first off, I don't usually use my name on here. Not, I don't know, not for any particular reason. I just don't. But my name is Peregrine Fisher, and I was born in small town Southern Oregon. I might go, what the hell kind of name is Peregrine? Well, my parents were hippies, and they didn't, uh, you know, back then kids were getting, you know, Moonchild and names like that. So I got Peregrine, and there was a few reasons why. Like, Peregrino means traveler in Spanish. I think Peregrine means to go long distances. There's a bird called a peregrine falcon, which is the fastest animal alive. It does like 200 miles an hour in a dive, and it has special baffles in its nose so the fast air doesn't explode it. One of the main hobbits, Pippin, his real name is Peregrine. They like say it on like the first couple pages of the first book, sorry, The Lord of the Rings, and they never they never say the word peregrine again, but his name is actually Peregrine, and I guess Pip, Pip and Pippin is a sh- one shortened version of it. And I have a degree in mathematics, computer science, and because of the computer science part, it used to be if you typed in Peregrine Fisher into uh, Google, you'd find a whole bunch of stuff about me. But So I did, the, I did that uh, yesterday to see what it's like anymore, and I, you know, I don't know where I am. You'd, you'd have to, you could find me, but it's not easy anymore, because apparently there's a TV show called Miss Fisher's Mysteries, and it's about a woman who solves mysteries, and her daughter's name is Peregrine Fisher. So now you just type now you type in Peregrine Fisher, it's some famous TV character and that's all you get. So that's kind of cool. I've been I've been erased. And let's see. My parents wanted a name, boy or girl, I was getting the same name. My mom had a friend named Peregrine in college. I don't know. They put together a long list. I think my parents had a long argument back and forth on what to name me and somehow a list is all, you know, it's like a rap sheet. A rap sheet is all as long as your arm is how I ended up with the name Peregrine. And so I was going to grow up in Mexico. I was going to be a Mexican-American. They're like, let's go to Mexico and give birth there. And then my mom was like, this is a shithole. I ain't giving birth here. So they came back to America, and I didn't become a Mexican-American. I guess I should mention, I'm white. I'm 48. Yeah. But so my parents were living on a hippie commune where like, all these hippies are educated. Most of them went to uh, University of California, Santa Barbara. I think basically it was like students from UCSB and then like teachers from UCSB. They got they got part of this um, late '60s, early '70s, I guess early '70s back to the land movement. And so, so you know, some boy, it's like some of the people moved to Southern Oregon and became dirt poor, and then all their friends who stayed behind, you know, became like investment bankers and lawyers and you know, whatever bot houses in New York City that are now worth 10 million dollars. Anyways, I got on the poor side of that stick. So I was going to be a commune kid because people had parents that were rich enough to loan them the money to buy a bunch of land and then they could all live on the land together. It was going to be wonderful. And then 
you know, I think, you know, like, a different person, like, would cook dinner for the whole group every night, and, you know, a different person would do breakfast, and they were sharing the raising of a pig and a cow, and they were doing a garden, and, you know, digging a hole to go poop in, whatever. And so, again, kind of like the Mexico thing, my mom was like, you know what, all of a sudden, you know, why, why am I having to cook, you know, you're like, oh, I gotta go to town, why don't you, why don't you, would you cook dinner for me? She's like, I'm doing more than my share of work, this is a shithole commune. I'm getting out of here. And so I didn't end up growing up on a commune. Um, although, you know, her friends lived on the commune still. And, her, you know, everyone had, everyone had kids the same age. And so as a child, I actually hung out on the commune. The commune was my babysitting place. When, you know, my, my, if my mom was going to work, she'd drop me off at the commune. So I did spend, you know, many thousands of hours on a commune as a little kid. Uh, let's see. So quickly, back in the day, they... They created a school called Dome School. They built a dome, which in Southern Oregon, the rain makes it rot and the building got destroyed, but they built a dome school and they built a clinic. And those two things are still in existence to this day. I mean, this is a high quality of hippie, like where most people had master's degrees from the UC system. And then I remember as a kid, like, you know, say we go swimming, like a whole bunch of us would go down to the river to go swimming and everyone would be naked, which is not what you'd normally uh, experience. I mean, basically, as a kid, it didn't really matter. Oh, this is just normal or whatever. But it makes me think of a woman that I know. She had kids similar to my age, but they were girls. And uh, and so she was hanging out the hippie style, and everyone was naked. And then some skeezy men. I mean, it wasn't all it wasn't all master's degree hippies. Some skeezy men were like looking at her little girl, naked little girls, in a way she didn't like. And so she got the hell out of there too. So there was a lot of weird murders. It was like educated hippies. And then, like, drifters who would come in and commit crazy murders. I mean, otherwise, it's just known as the 70s. And I guess you could say everyone back then was, they were woke. But, you know, it was, it was, it was okay. It was okay to be woke in the 70s. And, it was, you know, the whole town is pretty much all white people. I think there's only, like, a couple black guys in the whole situation. One of whom was, like, an engineer, and everyone loved him. He had the, you know, if you had a question, you asked him, you know, before Google existed... And then I think the other black guy, he was kind of crazy. He always wore like 13 layers of clothing and then would would go bicycling every day for like miles and miles. I mean, he looked hot. Anyways, something something's something's wrong with him, but as a kid, I didn't even I didn't even in fact, I didn't even know what race was. I think my parents they raised me a little weird. They didn't tell me. They didn't tell me about religion. Like I never even heard of it. You know, I think I met some kid when I in school and he's like, "Oh, do you believe in Jesus?" I'm like, What's Jesus? Never heard of it. And so the same thing is, is with race. I don't think, they never said anything. They never said anything, and I didn't think to ask. All right, fast forward to high school. Um, I moved to Portland, Oregon, the biggest city in Oregon, which is now, boy, I don't know. I'm sorry to use the word. Trump said it, and I can't stop using it, uh, the word shithole. But, you know, Portland is now a woke shithole. But in the 90s, it was, it was fine. It was, uh, it was fine. Basically, it wasn't so expensive. It had poor neighbor, you know, it had poor neighborhoods. It had better off neighborhoods. Um, I went to Grant High School, which was the most diverse high school in the Portland system. It wasn't the most black people, but it had, you know, it had a lot of African Americans. Had a lot of like Vietnamese. Had a lot of like Russians that didn't speak English. It just had a lot of different kinds of people. It was interesting. And you know, me and all my friends, we were all white. We didn't go to, you know, we're, a lot of us didn't graduate. We didn't. Uh, Whatever. We were not successes. I mean, some of, some, some of my friends have become successes later on, but right out of the gate, out of high school, we were not big successes. Basically, 
except for maybe me, our parents didn't go to college and whatnot, and so we didn't go to college. And so this is high school, like, 89 to 92, which was the, it was the height of um, crime. Crime, that's the highest that crime ever was in America was those years. And uh, whatever, at my school, my school was full of bloods and crips. I mean, sort of. Basically, I was bullied in ninth grade in my little town of White High School. And then I went to this big school, you know, where the baddest MFers were all these bloods and crips, and they didn't care about me at all. If they were going to bother doing something to someone, it was probably going to be between them, you know, the beef. And I remember, like, my brother my brother had, had lived in Portland longer, and, like, his friend, he had this friend named Rashid McAllister. I've looked him up on Facebook, can't find him. The nicest guy in sixth grade, just the nicest, sweetest guy you ever met. And I think, I don't know, I think in ninth or tenth grade, he, like, shot a cop. The cop didn't die, but I think he got prison time. So, you know, it was, it was a crazy time. But here's the interesting part. So, sure, there's Bloods and Crips. You heard about them. That's back when you had real, also, you had real white supremacists, like real skinheads, real racists, like none of this crap that they call today, you know, a racist. And so the homecoming king from Grant High School, he, he, you know, he graduated one year before I got there, so I was never in the building at the same time as him, but still, he went to my high school. He was like a skinhead, like a real honest-to-God skinhead. And him and his friends, they were like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know the story exactly, but basically, like, we're skinheads. We're racist. Let's go kill a black person. I mean, whatever. They're probably drunk. Obviously, there's no excuses, but it's just crazy. Anyways, I think they just, they drove around, and the first black person they saw was, uh, he was an immigrant named Mulaghetto Seurat. And I think they pulled over their car, they got out with, like, baseball bats, and they killed him. I think so. It's three, three of these like skinheads, and I think maybe two of them are still in prison, or maybe one of them got killed in prison. But anyways, the the guy who went to my high school, he got out and has like since been seen like partying with the Proud Boys or something. So apparently, prison did not teach him the correct lesson there. But anyways, you know, you can see it's a big difference. You know, white supremacy in about 1990 is way different from 2020, right? In 2020, it's like showing up on Time to work is a, a value of white supremacy. But back in 1990, it was like, get your baseball bats, we're white supremacists. And then after high school, I lived um, in an apartment one block off of Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. It's that classic thing where, for whatever reason, they go find the most dangerous street in the city, and then they rename it MLK. It used to be called Union Boulevard. But yeah, so I had an apartment in the ghetto. I loved that apartment. Uh, it was cheap. It was cheap, and I loved it. And like, whatever. The ghetto's awesome. People say the ghetto's bad. At least the Portland ghetto in the early 90s was awesome. It wasn't that dangerous if you're just a nerdy white boy like myself. Like me and my friends, we all grew our hair long, and we were becoming like hippie kids. And we played a lot of hacky sack. Like, we'd listen to the Grateful Dead and play hacky sack, and we used to like play hacky sack underneath the street lamp at night and occasionally there'd be cars like doing drive-bys and we'd all run into the apartment but they, you know they weren't doing drive-bys to us you'd hear them do all the shooting you know 10 blocks away so you weren't in danger and then you'd see a car coming screaming down your street and you'd get the hell out of there but it was actually fun anyway whatever. i'm just i'm just bringing up you know i could tell you my whole life story i'm just trying to think of the woke anti-woke stuff here um I got pulled over by the cops once. I had an 82 Cutlass Supreme. 
which was it was a pretty cool car. Um, mine was a piece of crap, but basically crack dealers used to drive cars like that. And so, you know, here's my experience with the cops. I, uh, I did a small traffic violation. And so, you know, woo, 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 the cop pulled me over. I think it was at night, so he, he walks up to the car, he shines a flashlight in my face, sees that I'm white, and just goes, never mind, and lets me go. I mean, you know, cops are always looking for, the number one thing they're looking for is parole violations. If you got a parole violation, then they can take you in instantly. And then if they, you know, if, if they got someone with a parole violation, then they can keep searching for guns and drugs and then really stack up a case against you. Basically, he looked at me and he's like, uh, I'll, you know, I'll spend my time looking for parole violations and other stuff elsewhere. He just let me go. I mean, basically, it was, I don't know if it was racist. It was profiling. I got profiled, but in the good way. All right, and then let's catch up to more recent times. You know, Portland has since become just a very expensive city. The ghetto got gentrified, you know, any any house that was dilapidated got torn down or replaced with, you know, condos and townhouses. And, you know, you used to be able to get a house for 150 grand. Now that house is 600 grand. I think, you know, it's the same story on any of the coastal cities. But so I left Portland and moved back to the small town from whence I came. And I've been here like five years or a little more. And but sometimes I'll have friends come and visit me. You know, and, you know, it's nature. It's like a vacation. Like I'm near the redwoods. I'm near rivers and lakes and all that stuff. And, you know, places where you can go shooting, quarries where you can go shooting, just fun stuff. So all my childhood friends who still live in Portland, they'll come visit me. And so about five years ago, my buddy came down. He's like, hey, can I bring my coworker? Uh, I was like, sure, sounds good. And what's funny is that coworker, he was a member of Antifa. Like I never even heard of this stuff. And we didn't really talk about it, and I don't, even, I don't even think he knew the word Antifa. But he knew that you could get, like, a ski mask and go to downtown Portland on a Saturday night or whatever, and then the cops would come out, and then y you could fight the cops. You'd be part of a group that gets to fight the cops. You know, it was like LARPing. And he was an adrenaline junkie, and he just, he just enjoyed that. I mean, I'm sure it would, be, it would not be boring. And unfortunately, I haven't seen that guy since. I don't know if he's super into politics now or if he quit doing that or if he's dead or alive i don't know what happened to him but that's the first time i ever heard of recreational fighting the cops in downtown portland which you know nowadays that's just a common occurrence and so portland had antifa and so it was just it was you know i think maybe seattle was like this but not every city had the same situation when it came time for the uh 2020 george floyd protests and riots like, basically, Portland was having mini-riots, little riots, for years. And I think, you know, they'd break the windows out of businesses. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't as big a deal as 2020, but they'd break, the, you know, they'd break some windows. I think they'd um, spray paint, like, ACAB, all cops are bastards. And there's just these, just these little riots that kind of happened the whole time. I think maybe even the Proud Boys used to go fight them a little bit, maybe, before uh, 2020. And then... 2020 happened and you know america was going crazy all across it and antifa was like you know what blm black lives matter that's a much better slogan than the ones we've been doing and it's kind of like antifa was the rum and then black lives matter was the coke and you put them together and you got your, yourself a hell of a mixed drink and like i'm no expert on this it's just my opinion as a podcaster but basically it's it, it what well, it turned out it was good to have like you know giant 
peaceful protests during the day were great cover for some violent riots at night. And the fact that pre- the previous rioting had based, been based on, I don't know, you know, anarchy or communism or anti-capitalism or whatever, it was very easy for them just to roll in, uh, you know, racial justice. And so they did, and they just, like, they destroyed the downtown, the whole, th- I think it's still boarded up, still boarded up, or at least it was for a long time. I'd have friends that'd be like, hey, send me some, you're going downtown, send me some pictures, you just send me pictures of just nothing but boarded up businesses, you know, the fancy, like Saks Fifth Avenue. In fact, especially the fancy businesses were all boarded up, because they got their windows broken. And for instance, my buddy, he had a 16, his daughter was 16 at the time, and, you know, she was she in school? I don't know. She'd skip school or maybe she'd, you know, skip whatever they were calling school at the time and she'd go march for justice and stuff. And then, you know, she would come home before any sort of violence started. And basically, I think everyone that I know, uh, friends and family, uh, whatever, they supported the Black Lives Matter movement. And, you know, if the mainstream media said that it was mostly peaceful, I mean, you know, these are not news junkies. So they're just like, oh, I heard it was peaceful. Good enough for me. And so as a roughly 50-year-old white man, it seems like my roughly 50-year-old white male friends, they never really got that woke. But then all the women of the same age, you know, came from the same high school and whatnot, uh, they got woke as hell. And I think that's basically still the, that's the state of Oregon today. You know, everyone's white. They don't really want, you know, I don't think they want to talk about Black Lives Matter anymore because, you know, that's left a little bit of a bad taste in people's mouths but you know you bring up roe versus wade or something it's like hell yeah i want to talk about that and all the evil republicans or blah blah well okay so we'll call that good um so charles he asked me uh to talk he's like you know he was interested in two things which is one the perspective from the pacific northwest past and present so i just did that there but then he also asked me about you know what's it like being a podcaster you know how's my podcasting going how's that treating me but this one's getting long enough so i think if i remember i'll do you know how's podcasting treating me and what's the story on that uh in a whole different podcast so uh yeah i guess we'll call this good oh and what's going on with me now uh i live in the woods in southern oregon i'm off the grid there's no mains power supply uh i got solar panels and a generator but I also have the internet, which is, it's pretty crazy. You can live in the middle of the woods and whatever, still be an internet big dog. I mean, I'm not an, I'm not a big dog, but you could be. Okay, so I left something out. Now, yes, downtown Portland is boarded up because of the Antifa BLM riot stuff that keeps going on. They have one on Juneteenth where they just went and broke a bunch of windows, for instance, and they were shooting uh, the cops in the face with steel ball bearings with wrist rockets. And I don't know if I mentioned this previously, this is all white people. I just feel like you can't have a racial justice riot where white people are rioting on behalf of black people. But anyways, what's really happened to Portland, what's really made that place the quality of life go down, is the homeless and the crime. And so I got a buddy, he's, he's a tough guy. I mean, like, he literally is a very tough individual. He, I don't care who you are, he could kick your ass. And so I kind of live vicariously through the holy crap stuff that he goes through in Portland and so he's a mechanic you know just one thing one thing that this guy gets into he's a mechanic and people keep coming and trying to steal car parts I think it's usually the catalytic converter but anyways just imagine 
a mechanic and then you got a place where the customers park their cars and then people are always coming and trying to steal stuff and him and his partner keep getting on the local news and then it goes national because they uh they put a bunch of rock salt into shotgun shells and then they shoot the uh robbers and they got cameras all around the building and uh, in the yard and whatnot so i mean like whatever look up probably you know rock salt portland mechanic robber or something you can find videos of this stuff it's crazy and car theft is like through the roof like you know some people think oh it's not the homeless it's not the homeless uh, you know i don't know if, i don't know if it's the homeless but something if, if, if you get a homeless camp in the park across the street from you all of a sudden your cars are getting stolen so is it the homeless or just the car robbers go where the homeless are you know that, that you can decide on that one but my buddy, he's been repoing cars. And like the last time I talked to him, I'm like, how's it going? He's like, oh, I'm in my car right now driving to where, uh, you know, a stolen car was found. And I got to get there quick before someone else takes it away. And then the owner can then get there later at their leisure. Like I had another friend. She, uh, she lived in a big apartment complex that was next to the freeway. And in between her apartment complex and the freeway was a big grassy area. You know, city property, I guess. When I got there, I think the homeless had been recently kicked out of there. The camp had been recently kicked out of there. But the whole place is just covered in needles. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, you know, you need to give every homeless person a five-gallon bucket so they can throw their needles in it or something. It's crazy. And so the price of Portland's housing is through the freaking roof. You know, and hey, maybe that's related to the homeless people. But the crime is through the roof also. And it's kind of nice. You don't have to get into like racial justice stuff because uh, whatever. It's white criminals. You can hate them as much as you like. Twitter handle at Anti-Woke Podcast. And thanks for listening.